Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Goodyear Hotline. What a day to be alive and to love sports. Lewis Riddick getting set for the draft. That's two weeks away. He's live in 15 minutes. Today's Jackie Robinson Day. The list is all about that. And we will tell you exactly why my favorite sport is in the exact place that it is in. All that and more. The crew is here. It's time to go. Here we go. Go, go. Only one place to start. The place I want to start is by thanking my buddy Bob Wischusen, who did a terrific uh, job yesterday uh, handling uh, the program for me here. And I appreciate him doing it. I've, I've long been a huge admirer of his. Uh, for those across the country who don't know, Bob, you see him Saturdays doing college football games on ESPN, and he's great at that. But he has been the play-by-play voice of the New York Jets locally in New York for a very long time. It's got to be 20 years now. And I think he's as good as absolutely anybody in the sport. So it was, I was delighted when I heard that he was able to come in here yesterday. I, I spent the day. We had a six-hour pre-draft meeting um, on Zoom. And I can tell you that there were very few people who can make six hours fly by but Lewis Riddick, Mel Kuyper, and Booger McFarland are three of those people. I had the best time yesterday. I just sat back and we literally ran through all the options and all the possibilities on the draft. I love this assignment. I've, I've told you, if you have not yet heard, um, that I'm going to be the host for the first two nights on ESPN of the NFL draft. So it's two weeks from tonight and tomorrow. And it's, it's the best assignment I've ever had. It's the greatest a professional privilege I've ever been given. And it has really been fascinating. And so we had this six hours. And so that's why I wasn't here yesterday. But let me give you my primary takeaways. All right, I'll make this straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And I'll give them to you in two parts. The first are for the casual fans. Okay, this is for people. You're a football fan. You're not one of these draft geeks, draft nerds. You just care about your team, few other teams. You know a few players. Here's my primary takeaway from six hours of discussion yesterday. The X factor in this draft is Atlanta, regardless of what San Francisco does. There are going to be three quarterbacks that go off the board, one, two, and three. Trevor Lawrence is going to go one. Zach Wilson is going to go two. Either Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance are going to go three. All of the prognosticators continue to say it's Mac Jones. I continue to say I will believe that when I see it. But one way or the other, quarterbacks are going to go with the first three picks. The question is, what does Atlanta do? They have three really interesting options with the fourth pick in the draft. And no one knows yet which one they're going to take. But what they choose to do will completely shape the top of round one. So they could, A, take one of the two remaining quarterbacks. B, they could trade back to someone who wants to take one of the three, uh, one of, at that point, the two remaining quarterbacks, excuse me. Or the most interesting option is they could take Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, and I'm using air quotes around the word tight end because he's really not. He, is, he really should change his position definition to just weapon, offensive weapon, because he's, he can do so many things beyond just being a tight end. But that's, he's the first player going off the board who isn't a quarterback. And what they decide to do, what Atlanta decides to do, when no one really knows which one they'll choose, will completely shape the top of the draft. If they take a quarterback or trade back to a team that wants to take a quarterback, now you have, for the first time in history, quarterbacks going one, two, three, and four, and there's a mad dash for the fifth one, whoever's still sitting there. Everyone seems to think it's going to be Justin Fields. I continue to say I, I'll believe that when I see it. But 
If it is, now how does that impact the rest of it? And the intrigue is everywhere. Does Detroit trade back at 7? Does Carolina trade back at 8? Does Dallas trade back at 10? Who's coming up? Is it New England? There are any number of different ways you could see this going. So that's the... For the casual fan, that to me is the number one takeaway. The X factor, the reshaper of the entire top of the draft is what Atlanta does at four. For the advanced class, for those of you who are a little more into this, here's the primary takeaway I got from yesterday. Take the tackles early. If you want an offensive tackle, there are only two left tackles that everyone is sure of. You know their names, Penny Sewell from Oregon and Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. They're the only ones everyone agrees are great. There are question marks about all the other offensive tackles. Primarily, most of them don't project to being left tackles. Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech does. Some people love him. Some people have major question marks. And then there's a whole endless array of other offensive tackles, Walker Little, Liam Eikenberg. I could run through a bunch of names for you if you wanted to. But the point is there are major question marks surrounding all of them. So there are really two franchise kind of left tackles, which is arguably after quarterback, the most important position on your team. There are two of them. So those are to be coveted in this draft because there are major question marks about the rest of the tackles. The deepest positions are wide receiver and cornerback. We are counting something like 14 wide receivers in the first two rounds and about 10 corners. So that is for the more advanced class here as far as what I took away from my six-hour meeting yesterday. A little later this morning, we'll take some questions from the hashtag crew about their teams as we get set two weeks away from the NFL draft. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. The Scoop. All right, the scoop stinks. Um, Here's the story with the NBA. So, I mean, we're all looking forward to this game last night, right? Nets and Sixers, and these are the two top teams in the East. And we got all the hype, and it's nationally televised, and we got special editions of our gambling show. And, like, we are just hyping this thing up like it matters. And then the game gets played, and it's the NBA in 2021. So all the guys you want to see don't play. So KD doesn't play. And Harden doesn't play. And inexplicably, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge don't play. I'm not sure how they got to be so tired. But one way or another, they're not playing. That's the story of the NBA season, is the not playing. And a little later, I'll play you Stephen A. Smith voicing the frustration that so many fans feel. But if you're wondering at least one reason why it's happening, that's the scoop. I read to you from a note I got from ESPN's desk today. Several NBA general managers and team officials say the unorthodox and compressed schedule attempting to make up games postponed because of COVID has led to a rash of injuries around the league with several teams fearing that this has reached a boiling point. These concerns have been voiced in interviews with ESPN by a number of GMs and coaches and athletic trainers and people like that. And here are just some of the quotes. It's the worst schedule I've seen in 25 years. It's utterly insane. It's brutal. It's far worse than the Orlando bubble. Going into the bubble, we had different anxieties about the games, but that was without travel. This is literally exponentially more difficult. It's a cumulative effect. One GM said, I've never experienced anything like our injury spate. It says here, while drawing cause and effect correlations to injuries is complicated, the abbreviated schedule clearly has been a factor. And according to Elias, all-stars this year, players who are all-stars have missed 15% of the games that have been played. 
which is the second highest rate in NBA history. So some things are excuses and other things are reasons. I hate load management. If you listened to me back on Mike and Mike when load load management first became a thing, and if you've been listening to me on Get Up the last few years and here on this new show, I have said a million times, load management are my least two favorite words in sports. But that's really only a small part of what we have here. The load management is not really what's going on. What's going on in a league that is increasingly concerned about the postseason being the only thing that matters with this insanely compressed schedule that is so complicated and I understand why it's necessary. Teams are erring on the side of caution. So uh, forgetting about the net game last night, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George don't play last night because it's the second night of a back-to-back. So they don't play. So some things are excuses and some things are reasons. And what I will say is this is a difficult balancing act they have to do. And I do not envy Adam having to make these decisions. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. It's a lot easier for us to sit on the sideline and throw spitballs at these people who are choosing between packing all these games in as fast as they can, understanding that it is going to impact the product in a detrimental way, that fans are going to be frustrated. They're making that decision. They're deciding that is the lesser of two evils because the other side is not playing all the games, which means a lot of revenue lost. It means you're telling your TV partners and everybody else, well, we're not going to have all of these games that we always do. And there are other, you know, there are other people impacted by this. There are thousands and thousands of people in the United States of America who make their living dependent upon NBA games getting played, not just the really famous one who make millions. So these are tough decisions, and it is very, very complicated. I understand why they're having such a difficult time making them. Now, look, this is a different sport than it used to be. In 1971, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played all 82 games in a season, 38 of which came on zero days rest, i.e. the second game of a back-to-back. Wilt Chamberlain, in 1968, played all 82 games, 38 of them back-to-back. 1965, Willis Reed played all 80 games. That's how many there were then. 37 on back-to-back. Players don't do that anymore. It's a different sport. It's a different time. And they tried to adjust the schedule to have fewer of those. And then we had a pandemic. So again, I will go back to a phrase that I like. Some things are not excuses. They're reasons. There are reasons why this stuff is happening. As for a fan, it stinks. But I understand. All right, the green list today is all about the most important player in the history of American sports. We will get to that. Lewis Riddick is going to join me on the draft coming up next. I got a lot to say, and I'm glad you're here with me. I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
All right, here we go. Without further ado, the one, the only, Lewis Riddick is ready to go. Hello again, Lewis Riddick. What's going on, my man? Well, I, I opened the, this radio show today talking about how much I enjoyed the six hours that we spent together yesterday. And just to hear <laughs> you and Mel, well, just the, 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 the detail um, that you and Mel can go to on these guys, it, it boggles my mind. I've been studying all these players, but the degree to which you've broken them all down is fascinating. And I just hope that we're able to bring that to the audience in two weeks because you know candidly you know more about this than anyone i know knows about anything so but let, let's let's start at the beginning or at the top mm-hmm. at, because justin fields has his second pro day yesterday and i continue just to struggle to wrap my mind around the idea that a guy like fields is going to be sitting there and that san francisco is going to take mac jones instead and, and so i guess i would ask you are you as certain as almost everyone else I talk to seems to be that the third pick in this draft is going to be Mac Jones and we will go from there? Yeah, you know what? I I can't say I'm as certain as everyone else only because, I mean, I haven't asked Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I haven't asked Adam Peters. I haven't, I, I haven't asked John Lynch, you know, and have them hint to me one way or another. Are you sure you're going to take Mac? But I, I do know this. I do know that obviously the the people who really, you know, were the guys who this this story originated from, and look, they're the best in the business. I mean, look, Shefty's the best in the business, period. He has more context than, you know, most people have combined in their phones, you know, multiple people. So he, he understands, you know, what's going on with this. But at the same time, he's always said this. He has always said this. Things can change. And I've seen things change at the very top of the draft. I've been a part of personnel departments, a personnel department, that at the very top of the draft, within the first five, six picks, from one night to the next, the night before the draft, we switched the top of our top 100 board and took a different player. So don't tell me it can't happen. And don't tell me that, you know, at this point you have to know exactly who you're going to take and this part of part, because that's not true. And it's especially not true. And this is a point I didn't get to make on, on your show on, on Get Up just a little while ago. This offseason, Greeny, is different than any other offseason. Information is coming in later now than it ever has, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about medical information where guys, you know, trainers and doctors just got back from Indianapolis last week. And they only got to see the, maybe the top 150 players. Coaches are just now getting, the, getting a chance to see these players for the first time. That's the first time Kyle Shanahan has seen Justin Fields in person and talked to him. A lot of these scouts didn't see players all year long. So the the, the decision-making process is going further into this process this year than it ever has. And it may go up right until the night before. So I think we have to be willing to and be ready to accept curveballs being thrown at us and teams going totally different and going in totally different directions than maybe we even expected, which is great TV, and it's great for us. And you had that in your notes the other day. If you don't mind, put the names to it of the time that you guys changed your pick on the day of the draft. It's, it's names Absolutely. everyone will know. Yeah, no, in 2004, when we drafted Sean Taylor in Washington, the night before the draft, we had a huge personnel and coaching, me- and coaching uh, meeting, a scouting meeting overall, where it was a total blowout fest where – Everyone got a chance to make their pitch for who we thought we should draft uh, for, in the first round. I believe we drafted fifth that year. I believe that's what it was. Um, and right th- at, that, at that point in time, we had Kellen Winslow Jr. at the top 
of our top 100 list, and Sean Taylor was second. And both of those guys had, you know, we had been down to Miami's pro days. We had done a lot of work. Coach Joe Gibbs had coached Kellen Winslow Sr. He knew, he knew what a dynamic, talented tight end could do for his offense, and he really believed that Kellen could be a difference maker. At the same time, we needed a free safety. We thought that Sean Taylor could be a generational, truly generational, all-pro Hall of Fame type of player. Greg Williams was our defensive coordinator at the time. We had had a whole new defensive coaching staff coming in at that time with Greg Williams, Greg Blosh, Jerry Gray. Was we had some heavy hitters on the coaching side. And in the personnel department, there were some I – mean, we were basically split 50-50, Greeny, about who we thought we should draft in the first round. And I'm telling you, it got heated in that room. And I was one of the last people to speak that night. And I said, look, if I never get another player right, I will stake everything I know about football and to know about the safety position in particular on the fact that Sean Taylor will be a legendary player, a legendary player. I mean, and I was yelling at the top of my voice in this room hmm. and all, I mean, all of us were very, very passionate. I remember Greg Williams had a passionate speech and, you know, Trent Balky was there. Who's now the GM in Jacksonville. You know, I believe he was at the time was leaning more towards Kellen Winslow. If I'm not mistaken, I, I'm not for sure, but I mean, we were going back and forth and everybody had a chance to say something. The next morning, when we walked into the facility over there in Ashburn, and I remember walking into the draft room and looking at the, the magnets that were on the board in the top 100. The night before I left, it was Kellen up top. When I came back the next day, it was Sean Taylor. Mm. And we picked Sean Taylor, and obviously he was taken away from us you know, much sooner than he should have been. But Sean Taylor was on his way to being one of the greats of all time. So I know it can happen. People can change, especially when you have guys very closely graded and in your organization is split right down the middle and you respect everybody's opinion. And look, I know quarterback is much different than free safety versus in tight end, but this is still a franchise defining type of decision. And with this, with the situation being what it is this year due to COVID and how much later people are in the process of making decisions, I would not be surprised if they still are debating who to take. I love that story. Lewis Riddick, Breaking, Breaking moves. moves is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build your winning team today. Go to LinkedIn.com slash sports. Breaking Moves with Lewis Riddick. That was the 2004 draft. I've got it right here in front of me. That was the Eli draft. So that was the year Eli and Phillip Rivers go one and four and they get traded. What a draft this is. Listen to the top of this draft. Eli went number one. Robert Gallery, the offensive tackle. Lewis went number two to Oakland. Then Larry mm-hmm. Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald goes three to Arizona. Rivers goes yep. four, that trade. Then, yes, in Washington, you took Sean Taylor. And then the sixth pick, Cleveland took Kellen Winslow, the second, the tight end. And Sean That's Taylor right. and Kellen Winslow went to the same school. They were both from Miami. So let me ask yep. you a question. I'm fascinated by this. There's just one person who ultimately makes that call, right? Like, like so you're all in that room. And there's, what is there, yep. 10 of you? I mean, how many people are in there that are that are yelling at the top of their lungs? And, and ultimately, I mean, it was- yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was probably about yeah there was about ten to fifteen people in there. Ten to fifteen I mean, was, uh, people. We had the college scouting directors, the national scout, the area scout who had seen Sean, Coach Gibbs, um, Greg Williams, Greg Blush, uh, Jerry Gray. I mean, there was uh, Dan Snyder came had come in there that that night. I mean, it, it was I mean all of the principal decision making. Joe, Gibbs, I mean everybody was in there and. The, the cool thing about it was it was it very much so was something where Joe wanted to make sure he heard everybody's viewpoint because this was a big time decision and he was wrestling with it big time. 
because he's an offensive guy. You know, he had he had been so instrumental in you know obviously he's the one who created the offense in Washington in, in its heyday when he had Joe Theismann and and John Riggins and all those guys and he and he had he knew what he had in mind for Kellen, but at the same time he knew we needed a centerpiece on defense and we knew that Sean was one of those guys who could be in the form of Ronnie Lott, Kenny Easley, Don Rogers. I mean, some you know Jack Tatum. He, we knew that at that time he could be that kind of guy, and I'm telling you, you it couldn't have gotten any closer. I mean, it was literally fifty fifty. It was literally fifty. And I re- I do remember this too. I remember this too. I remember the next day when I walked in there, and I remember Dan Snyder turning to me and saying something to me of the effect of, "You better be right." You better be right. Mm. And it was kind of funny because he knew how passionate I was about Sean and, and, and because of my, you know, playing the same position. And I remember just saying this. I remember saying this about Sean Taylor. And I remember telling Sean Taylor this numerous times. I said to Dan, Sean Taylor is everything I could have, I wished I could have been. I could only dream of being as talented as this kid is. He can do it all. So if that's, if that's the best compliment I can give him, then that's what, I'll, that's what I'll tell you. He's everything I wished I could have been in my career, and I wasn't even close. So take it as you want. And, and we selected him, and then, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, he, he would have been. You're 100% right. One of the great players of all time, the tragic circumstances of his, uh, of his premature death. What a great story that is, Lewis. What a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. If I don't see you tomorrow, we'll have a great weekend, and, and I will check in next week. Thanks, Lou. You got it, man. See you. That's Lewis Riddick with me here on the Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. I loved that story. I had a million other things I wanted to do with him there. I think it was worth it just to get, because look, you're going to hear so much draft preview over the next two weeks, and I'm certainly going to do a ton of it because I'm knee deep in it. Um, But I think just to hear that that story, the, the, the way it breaks down, from the inside of how one player, one decision gets made, that's what's going on amongst so many teams. Imagine when it's your quarterback. Imagine in this day and age when they're deciding, what are we trading up to do? Who are we taking? Are we doing this? Imagine those conversations that are going on across the NFL now. It's just absolutely fabulous. All right, I'm Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. All right, next. Life is a series of choices. Who you got? Make a decision. Say it! Say it! All right, I'll say it. Who you got? All right, the hashtag crew is ready to go today. Hashtag Nuno, hashtag Devin, hashtag Hembo are all present and accounted for. But who you got belongs to hashtag Bubba, who uh, at different times in his career before he chose to become um, a radio producer, one of many things he did is he used to write questions for game shows. He wrote questions for some of the top shows of all time. Jeopardy, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Match Game, all of those. Uh, And so now he has settled into this career here, but he's put together a series of questions for me and I will answer them. Good morning again, Bubba. Hola. (laughs) It's so much more effective with that, that mask muzzling your voice. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. What do we got today? Who we got brought to you by Granger. We'll start with this one. Jadavian Clowney, he signed a one-year deal with the Browns. How big of an impact do you think this will be? Who you got winning the AFC North? 
I have got those Cleveland Browns winning the AFC North. I think they are now the team to beat. They could have been last year. They should be better than they were a season ago in every way. A second year for Baker Mayfield in this offense with some semblance of a representative offseason, which he didn't even have last year. They're adding Jadeveon Clowney on one side of the ball and Odell Beckham Jr. on the other side of the ball. They won a playoff game last year and acquitted themselves quite well in their second game against Kansas City. Oh, by the way, they won that playoff game missing half their team with COVID, including their head coach. The Browns are on the come. They're going to win that division, and they are going to be a tough out in the AFC. Bubba, what's next? Yeah, speaking of the AFC, who you got as the biggest competition to the Chiefs in the AFC? Well, so that's a really good question. So here are the options. The easy ones to say Buffalo. They were the last one standing last year. There's no reason to think they shouldn't get better, that Allen shouldn't get better. That's an easy one. I think Indianapolis is an intriguing one, depending on what they get from Carson. That's a very good team top to bottom. I think another intriguing, another sneaky, interesting pick is the Chargers. That's a really good team with Herbert getting a little better. I mean, what? how many times can you lose a game by one point? So if they just turn around half of those, I think they're a da- sneaky, dangerous team. Miami, depending on Tua, I think is a sneaky, interesting pick because if Tua is great, and he certainly might be, the Dolphins should be great. But all that was my preamble to saying Bubba, my answer is the same as it was a moment ago. It is the Cleveland Browns who I believe are a significant threat to go deep in the AFC playoffs this year. If Baker takes a step forward, I think the Browns are the biggest threat to Kansas City in the AFC. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. All right. Greeny and Bubba with who you got. What's next? Marking down the Browns for being terrible this year. (laughs) As you asked the guys on Get Up this morning, I'll ask you who you got as a quarterback in the draft most likely to lead his team to the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, Zach Wilson is the quarterback that I'm hoping leads his team to the Super Bowl. But history tells you, look, you have to be smart about these things. The two quarterbacks who will have the most immediate opportunity to lead their teams to the Super Bowl are the one that San Francisco takes, and the one that Belichick takes if he takes one. Now, Bell is going to have some some moves to make in order to get one of the big five quarterbacks in this, which is what I assume people are talking about. I think Bill would love to stash Davis Mills on his bench for a year. I continue to think Davis Mills, the kid from Stanford, is going to go at the end of round one. Mel and Lewis, for what it's worth, totally disagree with me. So we'll see. They know more than I do. But Whoever San Francisco takes, I know that's a cop-out answer to your question, Bubba, but that's by far the best team. You know, Jacksonville and the Jets won a combined three games last year. So whoever San Francisco takes goes immediately to a Super Bowl contender. No one would be stunned if the 49ers make the Super Bowl next year. So my answer to your question is whichever quarterback San Francisco drafts is the one in the best shape to get to the Super Bowl first. What's next? Is there a too-good-to-pass-up quarterback you could see the Panthers taking if he falls to them at number eight? Who you got? My answer is no, um, because if you talk to these guys, if you talk to Lewis and you talk to Mel and, and all the others, if you were to put Sam Darnold into this draft, you would not take Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones ahead of him. They've got Sam Darnold, and they had to give up some stuff to get him. 
So I believe that they are making it seem as though they want to take Justin Fields because they are going to make Denver or New England or Chicago or someone trade up with them to take the quarterback that they want. I do not believe Carolina will take one, and that is the reason why. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is. he's good. They would take him, but that's not on the list of options. So of the realistic possibilities for Carolina, the answer to your question, Bubba, is no. What's next? All right. 20 years ago today, Jeff Hyman, a.k.a. Joey Ramone, lead singer of The Ramones, died at the age of 49. So who you got as your favorite Ramones song? Well, so so I know you know this, but the audience may not know this, and you might find this surprising looking at me. I think I saw The Ramones in concert in my lifetime at least 50 times. 50 times. 50 times. I grew up a walking distance from a place in New York City called CBGB's, which was a club on the Bowery. It's on the corner of of, of where Bleecker Street intersects with the Bowery. I grew up two and a half blocks from that. And that was a place where a lot of the new wave bands of the 70s and into the early 80s sort of became legendary. The Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, they all came from there. So I was a Ramones fan before the Ramones were a thing. And then they played a, a, a trillion gigs. The Ramones played every night. I mean, they played every night. And my friends and I, when we got to be in high school, would go see them all the time. I loved the Ramones. And honestly, to be completely I didn't know the anniversary of this until you told me, Bubba. 20 years ago this morning, I drove into work with tears in my eyes. I'm not the least bit ashamed to admit that. I was driving in to do Mike and Mike. And Joey Ramone di- had died. I woke up to the news that Joey had died. And I, I honestly cried. And it is not my favorite song, but this is the answer I will give you. I put on the song Howling at the Moon, which is known as Shana Nana, which is a much later Ramon song. It's not one of the early ones, the really famous ones like Blitzkrieg Bop and all that, but the later Ramon stuff. And that I put that song on and I just listened to it on my drive in to work. And, and so that's the song I will give you as the answer. But I loved Joey. I loved all the Ramones. Um, I love that band. And so 20 years ago today, we lose Joey Ramon. That's, you know, they, they were an underappreciated, very important piece of the musical picture of their era. That's who you got with Bubba. Bubba, give us a sponsor. Who you got brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger is always there to help. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. All right, we are just getting rolling along here. Busy morning still to come. I've got a green light to give to Hembo today. I got to get you some Stephen A, his thoughts on the NBA situation. But up next, do not miss the green list. It is all about the most important player in the history of American sports. Greeny, the podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really 
Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The 20th anniversary of the death of the great Joey Ramone is today. The Ramones, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Outside the Beatles, they're my favorite band ever. I still listen to them all the time. All these years later. Hey, baseball is back. Your favorite teams and players are back. Catch the best of the bigs all season long here on ESPN Plus with over 170 live games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. If you watch the games today, you'll notice all the players are wearing the same number. And that brings us to the list. The list is what determines who matters in this business. All right, I'm very excited about today's green list. My top five, this, that, the other, as chosen exclusively by me, the world's foremost authority on all matters. So today's Jackie Robinson Day. So if you sit down to watch a ball game with your kids tonight or or anytime today, you will see all the players are wearing the number 42. And the kids might say, well, why is that? And this gives you a great opportunity to tell them about Jackie Robinson. And so here are five things about Jackie Robinson you may not have known. You know he broke baseball's color line. You know what makes Jackie so important. But here are five things about Jackie that you may not know. Number five. This one is remarkable. It's the fall of 1941. Jackie Robinson joined the Honolulu Bears, which was a semi-pro football team. He played his last game with them at Pearl Harbor. He left the island and returned to California on December 5th, 1941. That is two days before Pearl Harbor was attacked and the day that will live in infamy. Jackie Robinson was there two days before. That's number five. Number four. Number four. Just to understand the world and where we were the day that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier this, on this day in 1947. Baseball was integrated more than a year before Harry Truman issued an executive order that began desegregating the military and seven years before Brown versus the Board of Education. So Jackie Robinson was playing in the majors at a time when the military was segregated and the education system was segregated. He paved the way for integration across the United States of America. Number three. Number three. Once he opened that door, it was wide open. Black superstars came streaming into the National League almost immediately from 1949 to 1962. 11 of the 14 MVPs in the National League were African-American. Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella three times, Willie Mays, Don Newcomb, Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks twice, Frank Robinson, and Maury Wills. So obviously, so many of the best players in the world were not being allowed to play. Jackie Robinson changes all of that, and you see what comes. Number two. Next, Jackie Robinson revived the art of stealing home. He did it 19 times in his career. He stole home, which is the most of any player whose career comes after World War I. And his steal of home in the 1955 World Series, in a game in which Whitey Ford is the pitcher and Yogi Berra is the catcher, remains among the most memorable plays, and we're showing it right now on ESPN+. Among the most memorable plays in the history of baseball. In fact, I love the story Yogi Berra, Shortly before his death, they're in his museum in New Jersey, and that picture is hanging on the wall. And, and it's the picture of him, you know, putting down the tag and Jackie Robinson sliding in. And Yogi Bear apparently just walked past it and just said, you're out. <laughs> he went to his grave believing Jackie Robinson was out when he stole home in the 55 World Series. But 
he was safe. And again, he stole home 19 times in his career. Number one. But number one, and I think this is the best one. You say to yourself, well, just how good a ball player was Jackie Robinson? This is a great job here by Hembo. From the 10 seasons, from 1947 to 1956, the entirety of Jackie Robinson's career, only one player had more value than Robinson in the entire major leagues. If you look at war, the way they calculate this, and that was Stan Musial. In other words, Jackie Robinson was the second best player in the sport over a decade, despite all of the obstacles that he was facing, despite everything that was placed in his path. Jackie Robinson managed to be, by value, the second best player in the sport for a decade. And that is today's green list uh, in honor of Jackie Robinson. So, again, as you have the kids gathered around, I mean, it, it, it pains me to think that we may be living in a world and in a time when we know as little about the history of sports as we do, that there are probably a lot of kids who don't know the significance of it. So if your kid should ask you, why are they all wearing the same number today, Mom or Dad? There you go. You got a chance to explain it to them, and you have a few things you can tell them that they might find fascinating. All right, coming up next, Stephen A. was mad yesterday, and he had absolutely every reason to be. You will hear it, and I will explain why in a moment. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. 